Good morning, ladies. And welcome back to the, the ongoing journey that you're on. You guys have had a good little vacation, yeah? Yeah. You know, you stuck with your read if you're like me. I didn't stick with my read every single time. I had to go back, look at certain things, and depending on what the holiday was like. But as we're going to be together this morning, I'm going to primarily be in um, Matthew 24 and 25, and I'm going to be teaching a little bit more about the end times and what that means for us. But I thought it was interesting as I read what you guys were reading this week, and I think it's part of the movement, and it's preparing you because you've gone into now where you're looking towards Jesus' death, his resurrection, and his ascension. And so you guys were reading all of that, which I thought was kind of the timing in this was kind of good, and especially with what I'll be sharing with you this morning. So with that in mind, because I do feel our whole lives are about constantly moving forward. It's a forward motion. And what Jesus was sharing with even his disciples is there's a forward motion I want you to keep moving towards. So this is one of my favorite songs. And at times when all is said and done, I don't know what else to share with the Lord. I go in and I love this because it is. It's about moving forward. So as we've left 2018, for some, I've seen so many different things written and so many things shared. 2018 was like, yay! For many, 2018 was sorrowful. But we move away from that, taking what he has given us, and we're moving forward into 2019. My hopes for you all is from today and what God gave me is that we begin to really look for that future that is nearer to us than we've ever imagined. And we begin to look. And how are we going to live? How do we then live when we're looking for when Jesus is coming? Because, ladies, it's near. And believe it or not, it's what I'm going to share with you. He was teaching his disciples. It is near. The disciples were sharing. It is near. The near is, the end is near. This isn't something that we're waiting. It's all a part of that. So as we sing this morning, you know, I want you to prepare your hearts. And I'm hoping that you'll get something out of this. And I hope you go today away with looking at your life. What am I living for? And I'm going to be sharing also, what are you making? What are you leaving behind? What are you creating? We've been made as creators after our creator. We're always creating something, ladies. I thought about that. You think when you're an empty nester, you're done creating things that you want to see that you're leaving for your children. But now I have four grandchildren. So creating is still something fresh and beautiful for me. But in the things that I was reading this week, I thought, Lord, what am I leaving behind? What am I making with those? What are they going to say once I'm gone? Because I've looked at what Jesus has left behind. I'll share that with you. He's left two things of deep value. One is his word, and the other is his church. Material gain meant nothing to him. Because he knew that what he was leaving has an eternal value to it that will live forever. So with that, if you want to sit, I don't care how you want to worship, you want to, you want to, sometimes I feel in the, in the foyer, I would love to just get on my knees and worship. I haven't been able to move to that yet. I do it in my room. Depending on what church I've been to, I could do it there, <laughs> depending on where I'm at. But... Whatever your heart leads you to do, let's just move that. But let it be a heart 
cry, a heart that you're speaking to God about, okay? Amen, right? Last night when I was in my room, my little grandson, my almost nine-year-old on the night came in while I was sitting with that, and it gave me an opportunity to share what that meant. So it's what I think we're all looking at. How did Christ come? You guys read. How did he make all things new? He's given us a new life, didn't he? And you guys got to read on that, so it kind of follows with that. So with that in mind, why don't we open? I mean, you can turn to Matthew 24 and follow through, and there's some things from Matthew 20, 25. That I, can you hear me okay? Can you guys hear me? Okay, look, if I look, no. Candace, thanks. Candace gave me a pair. I just bought a pair of readers, and as I was sitting here, the arm fell off. So if I'm, if I'm like this, you're going to understand why. All righty. Okay, I that one over. But before we start, I'd like to open in prayer. Father, we're thankful for this holiday season. We're thankful for um, the birth of our Savior. We're thankful that he was willing to come into this world, be born into this world, be the God-man of this world, and that, Father, he came to die for us as we're thanking you for that read, reminding us of all of what he gave up in order to come and claim us, to redeem us. Lord, it's like the intervention from heaven that came into this world. I am so thankful. So I pray, Holy Spirit, because that is one of the gifts that was left behind for us. That's part of what he is speaking about, even in Matthew and, and, and Lord, that that was one of the things that he left so that we can learn from you, we have power from you. So I'm thankful for all of that. So I pray this morning, as we get into your word, as we listen to your instructions, they're not my instructions, but Holy Spirit, that you would fill me full with your presence. I pray that you would fall fresh and new on every woman that is sitting here this morning. Pray that you would give them new eyes to see and new ears to hear. And Lord, that you would fill their heart with wanting to follow you forward, no matter what the future brings for us. Because Lord, you are near. And in that, we are thankful. So I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, pretty much, are we living in the last days, ladies? That's kind of what I'm going to be asking you. So if the end is near, are you ready? And with that, what will you leave behind? That's what I'm going to be asking. No matter what, even if we go before Jesus comes, what are we leaving behind? Because he has left for us a, can you guys see me okay with this? You know, I think I'll just take this with this. I think there are ways that he has showed us exactly how he wants us to live. And that was in one of your reads as well. Remember when you were reading about the, um, the ten virgins? That really has to do with right living and how we are to wait for the bridegroom. Even though they hadn't become a bride yet, they were still going to be brides if they did the right thing. But that's what he primarily was, was teaching in that parable. But according to the Bible, the appointed time has grown very short. That's out of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 7.29. So even in the New Testament, that was what was being declared. Jesus calls us to watch for his return. So why is that? Why is he telling us to be watchful and to keep our lamps lit? That's more importantly what it is. What does that look like? For you know neither the day nor the hour. That's what Matthew 25, 13 is saying. Christ's return is imminent, which means it's coming, whether people believe it or not. 
And we see a lot of people, even at this point, that are saying, oh yeah, he's coming, like when's that happening? So how long has that been now that you guys have been saying this? About 2019 years, right? But as I share with you, there is a scripture in the Bible where it says, God is not a respecter of person. I mean, of time. A thousand years is as though a day to him. So ladies, he's been gone for two days, for the most part. So how much nearer are we now to when he's coming back, right? When I read that, I thought that. You know, he doesn't live. He lives outside of time. He's the one that created time. So he doesn't look at it like we do. Um, and given the urgency of the time, which means it could be any time, we have no idea how then should we live. That was what I felt as I was going through this, looking at, Lord, what can I teach about? What would you want me to? Because it is a question every generation of Christians have asked. And, and you know, it's, it's one to where that's where Jesus goes in. He's giving, you know, like, how am I supposed? Why do I have to look at? What is it that I need to do? And so it comes to a people. The main point here is that people of God are being instructed on how to get ready to meet the bridegroom. Because that is what Jesus, his second coming, is going to be all about. Because he's already come one time. Now he's coming with a second time with a, with a whole different objective. Right? So I was looking at that and thinking about that and thinking about that. You know, because we had ten virgins, didn't we? And five of them were pretty foolish. And it's not a way that we want to live. I don't want to live that way. You know? And so he has said, if he's coming, you know what I looked at? You need to light your lamps. You know, we need to live with lit lamps. What does that look like exactly? Because that was part of their job. And what I had seen as I was looking is as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. And you know how I, I looked at that and I applied that into the lives of many that I've looked at. Many people think, well, he hasn't come yet. I'm not going to really sweat this. I'm going to just live life the way that I feel like I want to live life. And I'm really not going to live with expectancy. Because I think if we were told today, like if we left and we said, okay, basically I've gotten this, this, this thing that has come to me that all right, Jesus were to say to us, I'm coming tomorrow, what would we do? How would you prepare the rest of your day knowing for, for a fact that he was coming tomorrow for you? Because I don't think if we're all being really truthful, those are things that we really even think about. I think we do get up, we live life, but I think that moving, coming to move into more of a, a perspective on how do I live with that being what is in the forefront, you know? Because you have to notice the two things that Jesus tells us ahead of time that there is going to be a delay between the comings. This has been a stumbling block for over 2,000 years. You know how Peter dealt with this in his second letter when you go into Peter? Scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? And I don't know about you, but I've had conversations with people that that's exactly what I've had to be up against. Like, yeah, right. You know, like how much longer do you guys have to wait? But I don't have those answers for them. I don't have an answer. I can't come in. I can't tell them when I know he's coming. All I know is that I know he is coming. That's what's most important, I think, for all of us is to know that whether or not I see him in my lifetime, he's coming. And I may live to see him in his life, in my lifetime. My mother lived for that. <laughs> she thought, oh my gosh, when he calls me forward, that's going to be great. So ladies, what I'm basically going to go is into this place on are we living in the last days? I'm going to share with you just my own personal opinion. I definitely think yes.
And that's my opinion. I think most people do feel that we are in end times. You know, but do you, you know, when, how often, I, we do have people asking, do you know what year Jesus is coming back? You know, the Bible does give us some very black and white things to say in moments like these. You know, so if you are up against this, there are some things you could share with them. I told, you know, it's like, I don't, and so this is where I'll go. I don't know the year, and that even Jesus himself, I've shared that a lot. He doesn't know. When he was on earth, said that he didn't know the exact time that he would be coming back. That's in Matthew 24, 36. And it's also in Mark 13, verse 32. Underline it and mark it. It's a place that you can go so somebody won't necessarily argue with you, but it's something that you can share that he said. I also took the opportunity to emphasize that if anyone says that he knows, I can't emphasize this enough. Anyone that's coming coming forward with a date and a time is false. If Jesus doesn't know the time, nobody knows the time, right? His daddy knows the time. His dad's going to be the one that basically shares with him. You know, but even though you don't know what year Jesus is coming back, I have no concept. I don't know what time. I don't know what day. You know, I do know that his coming is near. And by near, I mean what the New Testament means when it tells us multiple times that he, that his coming is near. That was one of the things that I got as I was getting into this and beginning to read, that it does. And I think I've never really paid that much attention to how many times that that is being declared in the New Testament by the disciples. So Jesus was emphasizing, my coming is near. And I think we look at, well, what does near mean? Don't you think near pretty much when they're like, oh, the day that we'll be there is coming pretty near. So we're looking with like thinking this anticipation. Oh, well, he'll be here next week. Or, and if you look, most of his disciples truly believed if you start reading through the scriptures, as you're reading, look at how many times they're looking, believing he's coming in my lifetime. Because that's a reality. They believed it. All right, so with that, the next big, it, it has to do with the next big thing is what I'm sharing with you. God calls his church in every generation to live in light of this remarkable truth. Nothing, this is the truth, nothing now stands in the way of Jesus' return. Nothing. Before he could come back, his birth stood in the way, didn't it? He couldn't just come back and re regain us. But he now has nothing after his perfect life, his sacrificial death for us, resurrection from the grave, and ascension to heaven to pour out his Holy Spirit on us, his church, the next major movement in history of the world is the second coming of Christ. That's it, ladies. That's what we're waiting for. That's what we're here for. Because we have no idea. I think it's been done deliberately on purpose that we have no idea when it's coming. Because if we did have an idea of when it's coming, I think there's many people that would just stop doing anything and just basically wait for it. In the church age, we Christians have no definite, unfulfilled list of events which must transpire before his return. So ladies, you can look at it, it could happen. Literally, while I'm sitting here talking to you, we could all just be called forth, and boom, we're out. Which for me, would be great. <laughs> right? We don't know. But I think I need to start to live with that kingdom perspective. 
Thy kingdom come, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's that whole, what, that's what he wants us praying. Your kingdom come, your kingdom come. He's coming for us. He's coming to put a close to a sinful world that we live in. It's all part of his plan. When the Bible promises, I mean, what the Bible promises will happen at the end is already happening. That's the reality of this. In significant measure around the world today, if we're all looking, if we're all keeping our eyes open, that is a true statement. And has been happening in some sense since the earliest days of the church. They believed it. They knew it. As long as Jesus tarries, we do indeed have the concrete directives of the church age to continue, ladies, pursuing like the evangelization of the nations. That's in Matthew 28, verse 19. You're being called to do that. Thank God we live in a church that is doing that. And the hastening of his coming, which means we can speed it up by living holy and godly lives. I loved that idea of his coming through this holy living. That's in 2 Peter Chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. That was a great little read that I went in. Read that. And yet, we have no firm, certain list of unfulfilled conditions about what Jesus could not surprise us with. His coming is the next big thing and could happen at any moment. That's what the New Testament means when it says his, his return is near. Because as far as Jesus is concerned, it is near to us. We have no idea. He has no idea. But you know what? He is living as near to us as he could get to us by the fact that your Holy Spirit is living in you. His Holy Spirit is living in you, right? If there's anyone that's gonna, that is going to allow you to experience what it is to have Christ near, it's going to be him. Four but the end is at hand. So there's four particular texts in the New Testament from four different human authors says that the end is at hand or literally has drawn near. So, you go into, Paul writes in Romans 13, verse 12. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. The times of ignorance, as he said at Athens in Acts 17, 30. The dark season of human history now has passed with the coming of Christ. Yeah, I've never read it, never really looked at it from that perspective. The previous statement clarifies the context. You know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. That is written in Romans 13, 11. The day of Christ's coming, Paul says, has drawn near, which is true. This whole drawing near, this whole coming closer had everything to do with the fact that they're moving into end times. Hebrews has the same nearness in view when he charges Christians in Hebrews 10, 24, verse 24 and 25, not to neglect, to meet. This is a great line to use. Not, to, not to, to meet together, as is the habit of some, some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's a way to encourage those that we are in fellowship with, get yourself to church. Be in community. You learn from one another. Prepare with one another. The day is drawing near. This is what was being preached back in Jesus' day with the disciples. They truly believed it. If it were not truth, they wouldn't be writing it. How much more near are we, ladies? Truly. I can remember when I was a young mama, I didn't want him coming quickly. 
So if there's anyone here with your children, I get it and I trust it. I mean, I know where you're at, but I think as I'm getting older, it's like, no, we need to, even as young as they can get, ladies, and I've even shared, I mean this, any of you in here that has gone into a nursery and held those babies, I'm going to tell you, you're ministering to them. And I believe as a baby, as a babe, I believe that when women are willing to cradle, to hold them, to sing to them, I believe that the gospel is there in them, and those children are being ministered to. And so to think that we have no idea what Jesus is doing with, with little guys, you know? If he comes, he takes them. What could be worse? There's nothing worse that could happen. There's only something wonderful that could happen in that. And then we have to trust when and how. But I think it motivates us to move much more forward with our children and the importance of why we need to be sharing, sharing, sharing. Do they like it? No. But you know what? Take a number and stand in line. That just happens. I mean, seriously. With my kids, they didn't know I hear anything. But there were times that there were opportunities and and life events that would happen that would open up for them to where I could share with them. Now I feel like the days are gone with my oldest ones. I mean, my oldest boy just turned 46. I can't believe he's 46. But 46 and the youngest is 43. They don't need mama telling them much at this point. But I can live it, right? So, I don't know. I just thought that that was a good thing, though, you guys, as far as the meeting together. Wouldn't that, that's a good way to share with this. But by this, he does not mean, as is often misstood, get more serious about Christian fellowship sometime in the future when you see the signs of the end begin to appear according to what you think, you know? Uh, the signs of the end aren't off in the future. They are already happening now, all the more now because they are already seeing the day drawing near. As we will see, Hebrews, as plainly as in the New Testament author says, that Christians are living in the last days. I believe that, ladies. I truly do. Peter then, in 1 Peter 4, 7 writes, the end of all things is at hand. Now that's Peter writing. So there's something that he knew and believed at that point, some have wondered whether Paul and Hebrews were referring to the coming destruction of Jerusalem. Do you remember that? But that's in the Bible, too. You guys have already read about that, which happened in 70 A.D. So some of that, that looking forward and sharing forward in scriptures are things that have taken place. So we're just that much further along in the near as the day that was the day drawing near. But such alternative theories, you know, at times people struggle with that. Peter says very simply, the end of all things is near. Even if Peter wrote his letter only to Jewish converts, it would be a special pleading to take the end of all things as simply the destruction of Jerusalem, because that's not what he was saying to them, you know? Finally, James says plainly and unmistakably in James 5, 8, the coming of the Lord is at hand. Jesus's Jesus' return is near. That's what James, Peter, Hebrews, and Paul believed, and what the faithful church has lived in light of for 2,000 years, and what we should believe and be ready for today. How then do we square the New Testament's claim that Christ's coming is near with the fact that here we are 2,000 years later, and he has not yet returned. Because that's one of the things that, in all honesty, Christianity gets bolted with with that. You know, people like to bring it up. Um, 
But you know, there was, do you remember back when it was, um, there was a book that was, We Are Living in the End Times. Did anybody ever read that? I remember when you go in, you kind of go in to read, but eventually it doesn't really, it goes more into um, political realms than it does anything else. But as early as Acts 2.17, just after Jesus had ascended to heaven and poured out his spirit on the church, Peter declares that the last days, prophecy from Joel 2. I went in and read that. Go in and read Joel 2. Because it's in, and you've got Daniel. Look, it's all the way back in the New Testament. I think for myself, as I, as I was preparing for this, the realities are God is not a respecter of persons. He was sharing forward motion all the way back. The people knew back in their days. But Joel 2 is not, was not like, is being fulfilled in their midst, is what he was telling them. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. When did that happen, ladies? That happened when at Pentecost, right? So they knew there's one of the signs. They knew that's a sign of end times. How many years ago was that? So what I'm going to challenge you with, there's a few things that I'm going to share with you that does give you some elements of knowing where you're living. But stay up to par on what is happening so that you can be not frightened, but be prepared. He doesn't want us afraid of all of this. Then Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3.1, understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. And the times of difficulty he refers to were already happening for his readers. He was saying in effect, don't be surprised that life is tough. These are the last days, remember? We're living in, in difficult, I think we're living in difficult times. I find myself, just even this Christmas, I can't tell you, Christmas for me this time was, was nothing like it has been in my life in the past because I saw such, there was no movement about Christ in this holiday season. Things to where in my life in the past, just even old movies, there are some beautiful old movies with regards to Christmas and the Christmas message, none of them. No matter what I did to try to find them, there was no real mention of Christ this Christmas. I have a friend that shared with me, her girlfriend went and she had, and it was something passed down in her family, and it was the nativity, something that was of great value to her. So she erected that and put it in her yard, and somebody came in and destroyed it. That's the times we're living in. And I looked at that, and it's like, how is that even possible? You know, and that's why I think it's nearer than what I think. And I want to live with that in my mind, you know? So don't be surprised that life is tough. And ladies, it is tough. And, he, and in 2 Peter 3.3, 3, he makes a familiar, a familiar assumption and gives a similar reminder. Scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. For Peter's readers and for us, the scoffers are not future. They are here now. We are living in the last days. If there's anything that I know you guys must see are people that live to scoff at the realities of what we believe. They find it a joke. I see things and I hear things being exchanged with one another, and it's just grievous to me as to where we're at and how people are, are looking at scriptures and people that are Christians. But what I've been praying, and I'm praying for all of you too, ladies, grow in strength in that. 
and know, look at what they did to Christ. And if they see Christ in you, and they're treating you in ways that looks like the way he says that we are living well, because they're seeing Christ in us. So not to find, not, not to take that to heart, even though it's difficult. And James denounces the unbelieving rich by saying, and this doesn't mean in material, I mean, it has, you have laid up treasure in the last days that are not lasting. And I think sometimes we need to look at what are we, what are we living for, ladies, truly? What are we living for? James, his readers, and we today are already in the last days, and those who lay up earthly treasures now do so, tragically in this final season of history before Jesus returns. Because, ladies, we are in a final season of history. Perhaps most prominent of all and unmistakable is the first two verses in Hebrews. Long ago and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So even he is declaring, in these last days, they looked at when Jesus came and spoke, last days. The first coming of Christ ushered in this final season of world history. These last days and his second coming is the next major step in history. Unlike many other major systems of belief around the world, Jews and Christians view history as linear. History is God's story, and it's going somewhere. It had a beginning, and it will have an end and end from this way of living. But it's everlasting when the, the finality of what he created, this world to do, to be, comes and finds its conclusion. That's the end. But then, there is no end to our living with him, which is a beautiful thing. There were first days. There were the days of the, part, the patriarchs and the many seasons, so many ups and downs for them. If we, you guys have already been traveling through that. If you remember and you're reading some of the things, remember all of the things you've already read in the history of Israel. And there were 400 years of prophetic silence and then the days that Jesus walked on earth. There's your history. And since then, we have been living in the last days. We don't know how long this present season of history will last. It has been almost 2,000, well, it's been 2019. But we do not know that this present season of history, I mean, we don't know that this present season of history, which began with the early church, is the last one until Jesus comes. The next major, literally epic-making event to come is not some especially great persecution, which some people are saying when that, you know, as if the Christians haven't been persecuted for the last 2,000 years. Ladies, they have been. It's happening and aren't being persecuted in horrible ways around the world today. We're seeing it. So it's not like we're waiting for this big persecution. It's going on all around us. It gives even more credibility of that we are living in these last times. How then are we going to live? And it's not God intervening to rapture. the. I could go for the rapture, but that's not the last great event. From being persecuted. God has better plans than to keep his people from hard times. The things we suffer is when we become more like Christ. In the things that we suffer. Even though it's difficult to try to comprehend that. And to, and to think why does this have to do. Why does this have to happen. But God has purpose in all of that for us. I don't think we can truly appreciate him. Unless we do suffer. Unless we see what he can do. And how he intervenes. And how he changes us. 
how we view things different, how we identify with others that are suffering is when we have suffered. And I think that there's a movement of wanting to be with them. The next big step is that Jesus is coming back. Hallelujah for that. That's what the New Testament means when it says his return is near or is at hand. It's not about shortness of time as we conceive it, but about nearness in history as God crafts it. And it should make us a people who anticipate it, pray for it, and live in light of it. The coming of Christ is near. This is what we teach our children, and we remind ourselves we are living in these last days. Because I think that's the most important thing that we need to do, is to remind ourselves to live with that, to wake up on an ongoing basis today and to realize, you know what? Today you could come. We could, we could get that Trump call, and we'd be taken home. But then how... How does that affect us, and then how does that affect other people that are around us? Because I think it's not waiting. I think it's beginning to live in the ways that what you guys were reading about what the, the um, ten virgins did. You only had, you had five that were not very wisdom, I mean, not very smart. They're pretty foolish. But you had the other five that lived life, lighting their lamps, moving out, waiting for the bridegroom. And I think that that's what we're being called to do. And so what would that look like for you guys? What would that, what would that look like? Because one of the things that I found and I thought, you know, this is really, this is this. For one, God wants us to be at work. You know, what does that look like? Just some things to share with you. He wants us to work well. And one of the things that says, um, here's a question for you. What do you want to be found doing when he comes? So write that down. And then think about that. One of the things is, do you want to be at a bedside loving a sick person? You know, these are some of the things we can do. Want to be in, in a city working for the poor. For some people, wanting to, to be able to teach and share the things that God has given them. You know, or do you want to be the people that just basically live life looking up, thinking, well, he could be coming today and moving on, you know? And just living life the way you want to live life. Or, you know, ladies, this what I, it was something somebody wrote. Oh, that we might be found doing works of righteousness when he comes. And then sleeping after a good, hard day of well-done work. That would be a nice way for him to call me. And I thought about that. Living each day with how do you want me to live today? Because... According to Matthew 25, 6, but at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Now relate that to 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Here he says, the cry goes out, he is here, go meet him. Let your lamps burn brightly, ladies, with life, with joy, with faith, with hope, with love, expectancy, praise, wonder, and marvel. Because, ladies, this is going to happen. Jesus is going to come back someday. And either we are going to be up in heaven coming with him, or we can be here being called up to be with him. But he is coming. And knowing that everything that's in the book of Revelations has yet to happen. 
most of that is what is the only last, but it doesn't mean we're not living. That's what I think I got from this and I wanted to share. It doesn't mean we are not living in the last days. It's just that's the end of the last days. But we are living in those latter days that Jesus was talking about. And he has given all of this preparation. Here's how I want you to live. Because ladies, what are we, and then for ourselves, what are we leaving behind? What do we leave behind? What have we made? That was something that I had found, and I, I pulled this out. See where I put it. Boy, and I just keep going back, and I keep looking at the importance of what we make. Because I keep thinking about that. And one of the things I was reading, it had to do with that we've been created creators with God. Ladies, we're always creating something. Always. What are you creating at work? What are you creating in your home? What are you recreating? What are we creating with our children and our friendships? Artists, isn't it beautiful when you see what an artist has created? What is the church creating? We're always creating. I liked that idea. The importance of what we make, however, what we make remains of immense importance because it actually reveals in some measure what we are. This is true of God, Romans 1.20, and true of us in Matthew 12.33. What we produce and our motives for producing it reveal what we believe and what we value. That's the message of the parable of the talents. That's what Jesus was saying. Faithful investment of what we've been given produces fruitfulness, ladies. It's the message of the parable of the sheep and the goats. What we do evidences what we are. Works, works for God is evidence of faith. So the question for all of us makers becomes what should we make of and with our lives? For each of us, the answer is different. But all of us must look to the great maker's life. John, 3, John 1, verse 3, and John 14, verse 6. To get our answers, that's what you look for. But for what he made, it's what Jesus made with his life, has great bearing on what we should make with ours. That's what I've been looking at. What did he make with his life? Our ultimate goal should be the same as what he does. What the great maker left behind. What did God the Son pour himself into making when he became flesh and dwelt among us? What did Jesus build to last? I shared with you earlier only two things, his word and his church. Transformed, born again people. That's all Jesus left in this world, along with his love, his mercy, all of the things that he is. He left behind the things most important. He didn't have a home. He didn't have a bank account. He didn't have any of those things. But what he left is immeasurably the most important things that we take with us. That's all Jesus left in the world when he left the world. He determined no other artifacts were worth preserving. You know what? I'm coming to a point that's what I want to believe. Doesn't matter what I lose. Doesn't matter what I don't have. What matters is what am I making with what God has given me. But these two artifacts have impacted the world more than anything else in history. In fact, these two things are what the world history is all about. For two millennia, Jesus' word has spread and his church has spread throughout the world. And when every human civilization and the world as we know it has finally perished, these two things will remain. Jesus' word, ladies, is forever. What Jesus made is not more important than what he is. What he, what he has made reveals 
who he is, which makes what he has made of unbelievable importance. So ladies, what will we leave behind? What implications does Jesus making having on our making? What are we making? What are we building? Essentially, it means that we should make Jesus' priorities our priorities. What were his priorities? That's something to ask yourself. Look those things up. Go in and Google it. I love to Google things and then start navigating all over the web. But I'm going to pray that you know when you're getting into false things, because, boy, there's some really crazy stuff out there when you're reading it. If Jesus devoted his earthly life to making his word known and his church grow, then the aim should be somewhat the same, shouldn't it? Shouldn't we be looking how to share the gospel message? That's his word. That we move out with love towards others, you know, spreading his word and serving the growth and the health of his church. Because I think that there are many places where I go where I see so lack of people being willing to come forward and to help with the growth of the church. Because life has become more important based on other values. Does this mean that all of us should be employed full-time by Christian ministry? No. <laughs> it means that all of us should see all of life as a form of full-time Christian ministry. I do believe that. No matter what our profession is. For the Christian, there is no abiding sacred secular distinction. All things are God's. And we do all things for God's glory. So I think how we live our lives, that's what we have. First off and foremost, what's in front of us? God does set a few aside to devote themselves to the ministry of the word the care of the church, and the equipping of the saints. Praise the Lord for that. And ladies, remember, truly, to pray for all of those that you know that are ministering in this church. It is not an easy thing to do. There's probably much that goes on you have no concept of, but you need to remember, lift them on an ongoing basis as God is using them. And we have been truly blessed with the ministry and the people that are serving at this church. Because it's not a simple thing that they do. But the vast majority of us are sent by God into all spheres of life to spread his word and to gather and serve his church. He gives us many different talents to invest. He gives us very gifts to use. That's in 1 Peter 4.10. And they are all made holy by the word and prayer. But nothing that we make on earth is sure to last except for its effect on advancing Jesus' word in his church and in this sense, it's true that only what's done for Christ will last. And with that, so what, you, so what are you pouring your life into making? I think that's my biggest question. You know, when it's over, what will you leave behind that will really last? When you report to your master, how will you, how you're invested in your talents that he gave you, what will you show as a, reserve, as a return? So when we're up there, I think that that's where some of the giftings come from him to us. He's going to say, I've gifted you with this. I gave you talent with that. What have you done with this? How have you bested this? What have you made with this? What, do you, what did you do with this? And he's not going to want to know what I did for myself. He's going to want to know, what did you do for me? How does this show me? Those are convicting words. As I read through this, I had, to, I had to confess, I had to repent, which is a beautiful thing when he moves with you a lot with that. Because ladies, it doesn't matter how much we have here in this world. If what we're doing, my mother used, my mother had that scripture 
Only what's done for Christ will last on our refrigerator for as long as my life growing up. I think that even when she died, it might have still been on the refrigerator, tattered. What you are is of, eter of eternal importance. No matter what gifts we have, no matter how small they are, you look at that old woman that had that one, ta that one talent that she gave. She's mentioned in Scripture. That one little boy that brought fish, he, he is mentioned in Scripture. We don't have to be these people that are just multi-talented, gifted. What has God given you? What can you make with that? Look at what he does with small. And what you make reveals what you are. So make the priorities of all that you make to serve the priorities of your maker. Make your making eternally durable by making it serve the advancement of the word and the church. And that's really kind of where I'm going to end. You know, I would like to hear some of your comments. What are things that you, as you were reading, what did you find? What did you read? I loved when I was reading that and he kept saying, like, don't worry, like, keep a cool head. <laughs> right? Yes. You guys know what I'm talking about? Well, that can be what we're talking about. Well, like in Matthew 24, when he was saying, this is what's going to happen. Yes. Right? And all of that. And he's like, but stay calm. It's, it's good. It's what must happen so that the new can come. And he's referring to things that were going to happen in that day, like the destruction See? of the temple. And there was a lot that was happening immediately. So he was saying that for them, but also for us. I thought it was really encouraging. I like that. What would that look like to remain calm? Well, we are about to read um, John 13, 14 through 17 next week. And that's part of the, the key. You're going to read those are the most intimate chapters in all of the Bible. And so you're about to read where our, our place and our center of calmness come from. Um, the center of that passage is the John 15, of course, which is abiding in Christ. Um, but it, it's really beautiful. And that's where he says, I give you my peace. Right? So. Well, he stayed calm. He did, but he was fully alive. So I, I think that that's something like calm is not passive. Right, there's a, there's a real activity that Christ is calling his disciples to and calling us to, but in the middle of that, to have a deep, I think a really deep understanding of what's happening is how you can kind of stay calm. Like, yeah, Jesus told us this was going to happen. He told us that it was going to be hard. He told us that we were going to be persecuted, that we would not feel like we ever fit into this world. Like, he told us that. So, like, being mindful, like, we shouldn't be surprised. If we're living our lives, lives right, I think a lot of Christians feel like they fit in just going to this world. Mm -hmm. um, but if we're living as followers, I think there is a sense that this is not my home, and this isn't what I was called to. That's and true. when you feel the rub with the world, just to know Jesus said, this is what he had, and this is what he said it was going to be like. So I think that's one way to be calm about it. And I think the other thing is just like the joy of it all is that he is making everything new. Mm. And I think even New Year's is like my favorite, it is, it's my favorite holiday. Um, I love celebrating Jesus' birth every day. And I love celebrating Easter every day. So it's like if you're going to have one day where it's like, okay, this is just a holiday. I just think New Year's is really fun. It's kind of fun to see something new. So 
Jesus was coming and personally I don't like the law. The law has always been very difficult and burdensome and makes me neurotic and makes me <laughs> crazy and knowing that I can never fulfill it and then it makes me judgmental of other people when I measure them against the law. I mean, I just think the law is so hard. So when we knew that when Jesus came and even the destruction of the temple was the ending of all the law and its systems and how difficult that must have been to watch that when that's all you ever knew and not knowing what the new was going to be, but yet the new was the going away of that and what you're going to see next week as you read in John. And it's the coming of like basically the law of love. Mm -hmm. And uh, yep. so it was so funny though, like I had such a great time in Matthew 24, I have to tell you guys. So I had such a great time in Matthew 24 this past week and then we were at Home Depot <coughs> and David got, he got a car, he bought her. And um, he had to get, it's a 1998, it's his dream car, kids these days. <laughs> but um, anyway, so he had to go get keys made at Home Depot. We're standing there and Charlie in Home Depot in Carmel Mountain said, hey, David was a king when he found out what David's name was. And we're like, yeah. He's like, have you guys ever read Matthew 24? And then he started talking about Matthew 24. And I had been like just so encouraged by it all week long. Today, I'm in the DMV, and this morning, you can ask Bob, he's my witness, I said, man, this whole new law really is summed up with us loving one another. Like, the key is going to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit, which is really cool next week, mm -hmm. but then he also says part of the key of that is loving one another. Like, you guys, you're really going to need one another. See, that's part of staying calm, too, mm -hmm. staying in fellowship. Mm -hmm. He's like, you're going to really need one another, and you're going to have the Holy Spirit, which you guys have never had before, so we can have his peace that way. But also, really love one another. And not just, it's not the love as you would love yourself, but now it's love as I have loved you. So this is like the new, that the old temple system and all that's going away, so that this whole new way of living, which is really based on love, and loving one another is really part of the powerful secret sauce of staying calm, right? So I'm in the DMV. I had told Bob all that this morning. I'm like, man, And I'm in the DMV, and I go into the bathroom, and on the back of the stall is like Romans, and it says, oh, one another, only this, to love one another. The whole law is summed up in this. And I'm like, Lord! <laughs> so I actually took a picture and sent it to Bob because he knew I was blown away by Charlie and Home Depot and now I'm being blown away by the back of a pop bathroom. Man, the Lord is confirming the quiet times. So I just think we can stay calm in that. I think the Lord is so good when we're on to something, when we're really being encouraged deeply by Him. He's with us. Right? So we'll be studying and all that. That's good. So you never find, you never know what you're going to find in a bathroom stall. Or in Home Depot. Sometimes you go in there, it's worth reading. It's like reading a book. <laughs> I was encouraged by John uh, 13. I was oh. reading all the different things in there. This one really encouraged me. He was getting ready to watch the disciples. Yeah. And the verse that encouraged me says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Isn't that beautiful? Wow. <laughs> it's 
Do you see the intimate term? And I mean, that's where I feel like Matthew 24 and John 13 starts picking it up again. But Matthew 24 is almost the end of this. Jesus being very like, wake up, wake up. Your opportunity is coming to an end. And he's, a lot of it is he's speaking to Israel, right? Because he said, I come to talk to Israel first. And so he's telling them, like, you think you're walking close to me, you're not. That's part of the sheep and the goats, too, is... You think you know me, O house of Israel, by keeping all of your laws, but you don't. You don't know me. You haven't moved toward where my law should move to, which is loving others, right? And all of that, like you can read that and just feel like so, like oh yeah, I've got to do better. I've got to do better. And then all of a sudden, when like you see this shift happening, where he's like, okay, now the new is coming, and he does start speaking so intimately. And washing your feet. You see, like this, sh this shift happens with John 13 a little bit. Yeah, it's so mm -hmm. encouraging. Mm -hmm. See, and those are the things that what we were talking about. What and what are we making? What did he make it? And what did he create? And what did he leave behind? Those are the things that he left behind. Things that you can remember. You know, that have that seems to have affected you. Because when I first got saved, it's like that I shared with you. Pastor of my church, that's the very, that's where he told me to go. And anyone that first got saved that had not been a part of any church, he would lead them to John. Because he wanted us to understand, first off and foremost, you have a Savior that loves you like crazy. So coming away with that and understanding that, rather than I think sometimes maybe possibly taking them into things that are like, whoa, here's this beautiful story that has love at its core. Because and it wants us to love him back. I mean, it's such a love relationship. So what would that look like? Christianity is. How do we love him back? By loving one another. Exactly. And by keeping his commandments. But again, we keep the commandments. It's not like the, which we're going to be studying at all in the letters, right? It's not keeping the commandments that's like the law. Like, I've got to do this. I've got to do this to please God. Everything that Jesus is about to do, the shedding of his blood and the breaking of his body, that's why the Lord's Supper is so huge too, right? He's like, this is how you remain in me is what I have done. So we, we're not in the law anymore. So when we obey Christ, we're doing it because we love him and want to glorify the Father because the Father's been so good to us and has forgiven us and has done so many loving things on our behalf and powerful things and such gracious things like grace is such mm -hmm. a gift. Salvation is such a gift. Forgiveness is just, it's just a gift. It just... We are made right with God as a gift through Jesus. So because of that, we just really want to love him back and bring him glory and make his love known in the world. So it's a very it's a very new thing that Jesus is teaching about different than the law. So as we're going through tribulation and things like that, realizing that that's got to happen so the new beautiful things can come. And that just, I don't know, it just lifts your head a little bit more to walk in the reality of that. Yep. To really walk in the reality of that. That there is something better, something better than we've really, ever experienced. There really is. Yes. And it's hard when you're in the midst of things that are chaotic, which is where we're at. We're not living in what is perfection yet, but it's coming. That's what I think. Because I look at, remember when we went through a few years ago, because I, I just, I do, I think one of the gifts, the most amazing gift we got was this Holy Spirit. It's how he stays near to us, always, you know, and how he equips. And I thought, 
you know, about, you know, I mean, when we were seeing Christian people that were being taken by the Islamic, all of those people over there, you saw some awful things, but there were certain people that I could remember, depending on what was being portrayed, where I thought, there is such a calm peace in this. This has to be that the Holy Spirit somehow is ministering do, through this. You know, and for, and that's what I'm thinking, that for us that have been saved, we have a special, unique place that God can minister as we're going through those things. Whereas for people that are not saved, there isn't. They're just struggling with death, however it comes the way that they know how to struggle. But we've even been given a gift in that. You know, because there were some awful things, but I could remember, I could remember specifically for me thinking, how do you stay and how do you remain in this kind of mindset? when you know that this is coming, that they were calm. And knowing that it, that, that gave me some, some peace and some hope, you know, in where we're at. And I think that it's why I think Jesus was telling them, don't be fearing the future, because he knows that he's going to be there to help them. I mean, he had the help of the Holy Spirit in his death. It's the first time I had ever read that when we went through this last walk. So if the Holy Spirit can help him, what can't he do with us? You know, but it's having, and I think loving him and what you're saying, one of the primary ways is to have faith to believe him and to trust him. Because I think it's what we do to show him, I believe in you, I love you, and it's, and sometimes I, I struggle with that. You know, depending on what it is. I read something this past week that was interesting to talk about. You know how this world often twists words like love? <laughs> <laughs> Right. Rainbow. <laughs> Rainbow. Oh, yes, it's been hijacked. Our rainbow has been hijacked. But I, I think I read something this past week that was talking about faith has kind of been hijacked, that word, and how mm. faith, when we now in this world kind of talk about faith, it's like, I don't really believe it. I don't know that it's fully true. I'm not completely convinced, but to make the jump, I'm going to have faith in something that I'm not really convinced is true. Like, that's really not faith. <laughs> right? Faith is, I am convinced this is true, so I'm going to walk in it. Yeah. That's a big so that, that's a big shift that will help keep you calm, because if you're not fully into believing, because that's really the biggest response that God has for us, is right? Believe. Believe, trust. So if we're thinking faith is that I'm waffling, I don't think this is really a reality, I'm not going to fully dive into this because I still have doubts and questions. And we still have questions and we still wonder how God does things. But I think faith says, but I think you're God. <clears throat> and look, Jesus, I believe in what you did and what you said and that this is your word and that it's eternal and it's forever. And so I'm all in. That's like that. It's trust. And that brings a real peace and a calmness. Otherwise, you're like the double-minded man, right, that James is going to talk about, that you're just tossed to and fro. And I think when things are very difficult in this world, if your faith is not secure, you're going yeah. to be tossed by every wind and wave that comes. You're double-minded. That's true. So double-mindedness doesn't work as far as keeping the whole head in trouble. Well, I think Jesus shows us, too, that there's, because there is, there's a way that he lived his faith, but he also showed, I mean, when he was asking his dad, is there any other way for us to, I'm paraphrasing, 
there any other way for us to accomplish this? Remember in the one part too where he said that now your kingdom come, your will be done. You know, it's, it's like I think that there are things that we can challenge ourselves in, like we're not sure. What, is there any other way to do this? And he was just like, nope, that's your way, and that's the way it's going to, that's the way it's going to work. You know, so seeing how he lived. And as you were speaking that, I was thinking about it. it was actually, this is a weird illustration, but it was my husband sharing with me about, like if you, you know, because my, all my kids, all my family serves but me. I don't want to be in the water. <laughs> I don't like the fish. I don't like any. <laughs> but he was sharing because there's been some really big surf and my grandson's over there in Hawaii at Pipe. So my, you know, there's always concern. But it was, he was saying, he goes to me, so look, the only way you're going to get over your fears is you've got to fight, you've got to go into them. So there has to be some element of something in that. You know, because he was saying, when you're there and you're not sure what your abilities are, he said the only way you're going to do it is you're going to have to have faith and what you've trained yourself to do. And he says, so the only way to get through it is to just take whatever size it is and you drop in on it and you go. And he goes, then you realize that if you fall, you're not drowning. But I mean, I think it's fighting. I think that that's a little bit of where you're coming from is that, you know, it is. That's your faith in knowing that no matter what the outcome can be, you're going to trust that you're doing the right thing. That's how I, when he was sharing that, I'm like, so that's the way these guys, that each time they go, they're doing something else. He goes, yeah, the only way they get over their fear is like, no, I've trained, I'm ready, I'm going. And he said, and then when you, when you get through it, you come through it, you feel like, okay, now I can do something bigger than this. So I kind of, I liked that analogy for me. I think too, as we've been looking at Jesus coming as king, right? At the very beginning, we talked about what was the difference of the gospel and then the gospel of the kingdom. Yeah. And so what's really cool is because Jesus is king, he has all authority to say this is how it's going to be. That would be great. Right. This, 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 is, this is how it's going to be. And so when we trust that Jesus Christ died on the cross and that our sins are forgiven, really, and that when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord, that we are forgiven because he's king and he says so. Mm -hmm. Not because I trust my feelings. Mm -hmm. Not because okay. there's a song that makes me feel like I am. Mm -hmm. Not because somebody loved me or didn't love me. But because Jesus is king and the king says so. That brings peace too, right? When you just exactly. put yourself underneath the authority of Christ. And that's what I love about him being king and savior is. He was savior, but he was also our king that came to rescue us. And he determines what the new way of living is going to be. He's the judge. And when the judge says not guilty, am I going to trust the judge? Or am I going to go, I feel guilty. <laughs> I want to say, I trust you, but I still feel guilty. Help me. <laughs> right? And that's the intimate relationship that we have with them. So What's the name of the lady that you and I like? The older woman? Corey Boo? No. The other one that we listened to. Come Jill on. Briscoe. Huh? Jill Briscoe. Right. Johnny Todd. And she had, I, <laughs> I just read the other day, and it was kind of exactly where you're going, where she was sharing with how to be saved. 
The simplest message was just a few words, exactly where it was coming. Do you believe that you're a sinner? Do you believe that Jesus came and died for your, on the cross for your sins? Have you asked him to come into your life? Simple things, she goes, if you have done that and you believe it, you're saved. That's it. Just simple words. Wasn't this huge? Where some people sometimes, it's like they've written a book. And by the time they're done, you've, they've lost you at the first page. But I read it again because that's how I came to know Christ. Such simple words. Other than going to a church in Florida that that guy was preaching hellfire and damnation. All I knew that once he started there, I just knew that it's like, I don't want to go to hell, so I do. But when I got back here, it was just the simplest words. But it was like, no, that's the desires of my heart. And that somehow or another, I think that he, is, he has allowed me or enabled me by that Holy Spirit coming in to reaffirm when we sometimes doubt. Haven't you ever seen people, I knew somebody when I went to where I got saved, that guy went forward constantly. <laughs> it's like you wanted to go to the front and go, buddy, it's already done. Don't get up and do this again. <laughs> it was actually kind of cool. Thanks, still embracing and reaffirm it. I liked it. I thought, well, this is okay. Listen, it's 11.30. Any other questions?